Amen. I got a clock. So, man, I just tell you, I love Pastor Brandon since he first came to the church. Um, when I was at Connections Pastor at Epiphany Philly, he was just joy. Him and his wife, who um, I dearly, dearly love, and those crazy boys. I've been tasked to jump into this Advent series, and I'm overjoyed to do that. I'll be jumping off in John chapter 1, 1 through 18. I'll be reading from the CSB, the Camden Street Bible. Brandon uses the ESV, the elect standard version, and, um, but I like the CSB. He likes it too. He's coming out soon. Amen, amen. So I'm going to pray. I'm going I'm to read, pray, and preach, and then I'm going to find some real Brooklyn food. And um, see, Pastor Brandon, he, see, that's another thing. He fly with the H&M swag. And he know how to find some food. Amen. Amen. He comes with donuts that you never even heard of when he comes to Philly. Everybody just waiting for the donut king when he shows up. Amen. So let's jump in because y'all going to say he kept us long. Father, be with us. Guide us. Strengthen us. Keep us. Meet us in our brokenness. We all come from different issues. Um, we know how to smile, though. So God, let us authentically be free today to grieve or struggle, but God, we would ask you to meet us in our brokenness. Demonstrate your power through signs and wonders yet again. Um, and might we have the reality of the saving, perfect, powerful work of Jesus through his substitutionary atoning death that he died in our place for those who were undeserved, rose again with all power, and gave grace and life to the undeserved. Us, saved us, made us children, um, made us full inheritance. We got full inheritance, even though we were once enemies, thieves in the king's garden. But you saved us, and we thank you. And Lord, for those here that don't know you, I'm glad they're here. And I pray, God, that um, your word would also land on them in ways that would distress their day as you would press upon them to see you higher lifted up. I pray that you would mess us all up with your grace, smack us all with your grace, beat us down with your grace. That's a loving beat down. And that we might repent and walk away from here better and new, trusting you even more as the day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created. And, uh, I'm sorry, what was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Oh, excuse me, that coffee's. Verse 7. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was not created and, and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. 
He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did not receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Verse 16, indeed, we have received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only son who is himself God and is at the father's side has he has revealed him. This is God's word. The title of my sermon is the crazy, generous God, the crazy, generous God. I grew up in Patterson, New Jersey, and in 19, my mother died January 1st, 1983, New Year's Day. Um, this time of the year is always a struggle for me, so you keep praying for me. And 1983, so, but I remember back in 1982, I wanted this thing, and most of y'all are way younger than me, way older than me, I mean, way younger than me. So it was a thing called a Crayola Caddy. I can't get one amen. Amen. I got one amen. So it was a Crayola caddy. So I, I used to try to draw and stuff. And this thing was like a caddy with all the markers and all the stuff on it. But my mother was in the hospital and she was, I, you know, I know after the fact now, but she was dying. She just wasn't not feeling well. She was dying for the year of 1982. And, but it was December and I was 11. And I was in the, from the hood, and I, you only got one thing. See, see, I had white friends that grew up with a list. I had, like, one thing. My mother didn't have, she had a list of all of us. It was just one small piece of paper because we only could pick one. So mine was a Crayola caddy. But my mother was in and out of the hospital, and, man, I just saw, so that Christmas day, that Christmas Eve, I just went and got into bed, went to sleep. My dad was there. I don't even know if my dad came home. My dad was a, a violent alcoholic then. By God's grace, he got saved and is with the Lord. But so I got up. I wasn't in no hurry like I normally was to get down to the tree because <laughs> my mother wasn't home. So she, my father ain't putting nothing under the tree. It had to be her. And sure as she and I just walked down angrily. Thinking nobody cared about me. Nobody was thinking of me. Nobody gifted me. And sure as shooting. A Crayola caddy was under that tree. I thought my mother was stingy and didn't care, but she was crazy generous with the stuff I didn't see. When I think of this passage and I think about the Advent season, we call the Christmas season, this Advent, we talk about Advent as arrival. This is the long-anticipated arrival of the generosity of God to send his son to people, us, spiritual brats, who, soon as we don't get our way, we think God doesn't care. But the generosity of his magnificent work that we don't see, 
See, I didn't see my mother go to Toys R Us. She didn't. She was working it out while in the hospital with IVs in her arm, calling my other sister to run over to Toys R Us. She was working the money, waiting for her Social Security disability check to come in to get that thing cashed, to make sure it was picked up, to make sure it was wrapped and dropped off at the house after I went to sleep. See, that's what happens when we don't see God move the way we want. We think he's not generous. But he is generously multitasking behind the scenes for undeserved spiritual brats. Us. And so when I think about this passage in this Advent season, 400 years. So between Malachi and Matthew, the intertestamental time, there was no prophecy. For those 400 and some odd years. So the Jews were under oppression, under oppressor, under dictator. They were under religious pimps in the, in the temple. There was prostitution. There was, there was health and wealth preaching in the temple then. There was pay to play. There was all types of sin and evil going on in the name of Messiah and in the name of Yahweh. And yet there was oppressors and poverty and violence and human trafficking and everything was going on. For 400 years they were looking for a word from God. For 400 years they were pleading when is God going to come up. For 400 years they declared many probably had really given up and was doubting if God loved them, if God cared, if he was generous or was he stingy with his love. He promised that he would come and take down sin. He promised he was coming. All the prophets told us he was coming. Where is he? They were looking and desperate and struggling. 400 years. I want you to imagine that. We struggle with 40 minutes of no Wi-Fi. We can't even turn off our notifications. 400 years looking for the promise of this Savior that was to come. That's why I love when Paul says in Galatians, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He was like my mother. My mother was like him, working in the background with his generosity, wrapping up a gift named Jesus to deliver to spiritual brats. To deliver to spiritual brats. So I just want to walk the text down and I want to preach down closer to verse 14, but let's walk it out real quick. So when I think about eternal, his, his gracious, the gracious God, this crazy generous God, let's go one through five, one through five, John one through five, John one, one through five. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So when we think about this John one, we think about the synoptics. Synoptics, theologians would say is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're synonymous in there. Um, their presentation of the gospel of Jesus. But John is a little different. He's not a synoptic. He's, he sort of stand out. So in other words, when you look at Matthew, you go to chapter one, you'll see a genealogy. When you go to, Matt, when you go to Mark, you'll see just, Mark just says, yeah, well, I'm not going to argue genealogy. I'm just going to talk about his power and his work and his ministry. And then when you get to Luke chapter three, we see another genealogy. But not John. So Matthew and Luke argue a genealogy. So they pull out Ancestry.com to spin back to prove he's from the lineage of the king. John says, no, nah, I'm good. I'm going back to eternity <laughs> to prove that he is not just 
not just Ancestry.com, we're not going to do a blood test. I'm going to tell you he existed before existence was existence, before existence ever existed. He existed before it. He is the uncreated one. He is the word that was in the beginning with God, that was God, this in the beginning with God, this face-to-face. And it's not a beginning because there is no beginning. And if I would read it in Kai, Kai, in any beginning that ever began was God. In any beginning that ever began was the word, was Lagos, this word, this beautiful picture that was face-to-face with God, mean face-to-face, reflexive pronoun. What that means is when you look in the mirror, when Jesus looks in the mirror, he sees God, and when God looks in the mirror, he sees Jesus. He's in the face-to-face with God. He always was, always existed. He was in the beginning with God. He's arguing here, John, in this text, is arguing his deity. He's arguing his deity. Very important. John doesn't play with Ancestry.com. He goes to eternity. Six through eight. So that was the eternal generosity. Now this is the earthly generosity. Six through eight. I'll read six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. So Jesus in his sovereignty uses earthly means to show off his generosity as well. And he does that with his cousin, John the Baptist. John the Apostle has given us the background to the forerunner of Messiah. John is a marker and a reinforcement. John the Baptist is. John the, when I say Baptist, I don't want you to think Baptist like Southern Baptist. John the Baptizer. He was known to put some water on the dude. Known to splash you up. <laughs> I'm Presbyterian. I don't need no whole pool. I'll just spit on you when I'm preaching hard. I was in the pool when Trisha Bell got back. She was pregnant. We did infant baptism. <laughs> and so this is showing off his earthly generosity. He, didn't, he gave us Jesus, but he gave us a marker and a reality that John would be the, the forerunner. That's what we understood. There would be a forerunner that would come. And this is important because there was a bunch of bootleg Jesuses that had shown up. There was a bunch who professed to be something. And let me tell you something. I just want you to think about these awful contractors after Hurricane Sandy in New Jersey. There was a bunch of them that showed up that promised to fix the problem. They had lost everything, devastated, and these contractors came with fake names, fake web pages, fake business cards, took the deposits, and disappeared. So that's what a bootleg Jesus is in our poverty, in our brokenness, in our cancer, in our sickness. They were showing up to these people, pimping them out with these fake Jesuses, promising eternality, promising to take down the, promising to take down the oppressors. We can dig up their bones right now. They all died. They are not true. John is saying all of them were bootleg. All of them were bootleg. But this one that was in the beginning, who was with God and is God, he is the one. And John the Baptist now is a continued reinforcement as the forerunner would be acknowledged in Malachi that there would be a forerunner before Messiah. John the Baptist is one. This shows his earthly generosity. And then generosity unrecognized. Look at verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. So this is the unrecognized generosity. So when he came to his own, they didn't recognize him. They rejected the generosity. 
So I, I want you to get this. You're in oppression. You're hurting. Your money's messed up. You jacked up, and somebody shows up with money, and you think it's so much of a scam, you don't take it. See, I think this passage points heavily to New Yorkers. See, New Yorkers think they can pull out a scam anywhere. They think they can peep the game of any scam. See, y'all think y'all know the difference between Uchi and Gucci. I want to believe I do. I know the difference between some fake Air Force Ones and some real Air Force Ones. But have you rejected some real ones with our arrogance of being able to authenticate? He came to his own. In other words, he didn't go to strangers. But he, the text could say he came home and the people at the house didn't recognize him. The people who knew him didn't recognize him. The people who were waiting for Messiah didn't recognize him and not recognize him. So when you see that verse, when you see that word recognize, I want you to get not like facial recognition. I want you to get they didn't recognize the reality of Messiah. Messiah was going to be healing and doing some crazy stuff. He was going to be perfect. He was going to be loving. They didn't recognize when the authentic Messiah shows up because they had also think they snuffed out all the bootlegs. So he shows up and his own did not receive him. They didn't recognize the generosity of God to send them a gift. Can I tell you, though, the plan of God still was not frustrated God is all-powerful, and in the midst of man's rejection, he still claims men as his own. That's crazy generous. I want, let me tell you something. You tell me, now nah, I'm good, and call my money fake? I'm not giving you no more money. But not God. In the midst of all that rejection, he still calls people to his own. You say, my money's funny. You better take this funny money. That's what God is saying. You, you need this money. He's, I think about Peter. Um, Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, he says, he says, Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. He says, unless I wash them, you'll never be clean. He says, well, wash my whole body. So they rejected him. They didn't recognize the generosity. But in the midst of that, see, me and you all rejected the generosity. Me and you heard the gospel. Many of us did for years. We rejected it. We said, this is fake. This ain't real Louis. This ain't Gucci. And all the while, it was, the gospel was real. But praise God that he always gets his man. He's a pursuing God. He's relentless in his pursuit. <laughs> He's relentless to get his man. I'm glad he fired us as appraisers and made us sons and daughters. He's generous. And the beauty of his generosity, it's the antithesis of stingy. He's not stingy. He's always freely giving to undeserved, freely given to unreserved. 11 through 13, I'm getting to my text. I'll read 11. There's some overlap there. Work with me. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of, or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. So I call this this ethnic generosity. See, as we're not Jewish, the picture would have felt like this, you know, the whole, perp, the whole idea of the, 
of, of the Jewish people where they were supposed to be the natural people God chose to demonstrate his grace and love, show the world what it looks like to be under a theocracy, the theocracy of God, the family of God, show off the beauty of worship in the midst of trouble, show off the beauty of, of how God's preserving power in the midst of a storm of life. He was supposed to do that, and then the nations would look on, and, the, and Psalm says, let the nations be glad. Why would they be glad? Because they would look at the people of God, worshiping God, and say, I want that. And that's what we are in Brooklyn. People in all the division and, and breakdowns and mess in the city, all the, the divorce and the, and the drugs and all the issues, they need to look at Epiphany Brooklyn and say, I want to go with them crazy jokers. They look like a Skittle shirt. They got every race up in that place. They, they laugh. They crazy. They smell like Brooklyn. They laugh. They love Jesus. They pastor wears a lot of H&M and he's got pretty people clothes all the time. <laughs> Sons even got H&M credit cards. <laughs> we want to go over to that church because, man, because I'm a single parent, they would say, but they got some men in there that would love my sons. They, well, I'm, I've been from a bad divorce, but there's some women in there that like to watch HGTV and drink some wine every now and again because they looking for some hope and some help. So, so this whole picture of God drawing them to himself, I'm not Southern Baptist, so I can talk about alcohol. <laughs> I just want to say that. I'm Presbyterian. I don't know what I am anymore. I think I quit the Presbyterians too. I'm just homeless. <laughs> I'll be, well, I'll be Methodist today. <laughs> For the next hour. <laughs> so this is the tragedy of the rejection. They rejected him. He came to his own. He came to his own and they rejected him. But to them that believed, to them he gave the right. I love that. To them that believed, he gave the right. You can't save yourself. You were dead in your sins. Dead men don't respond. Dead men don't respond. You were dead in your sins, absent, absent of your faculties to respond to a God of grace, absent of your faculties. You are without hope, without God, hopelessly drifting on your way to hell and sin for all eternity, dead in sin, no way to get to God. <laughs> but he gave you the right. <laughs> he gave you the right. He, 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 he looked at your criminal record and, and still hired you. Made you, didn't just make you a son, but made you on his staff. Only God could hire a treasonous person like us. See, if I owned a barbershop for 12, for 12 years. When one of them jokers stole from me, fired. I didn't even want to cut his hair again. He sure couldn't work for me. And he sure couldn't go in my cash register. But for high treason, us, adulterers, liars, porn addicts, sexual promiscuous, liars, crazy, violent, angry, mean, bad parents. We've been all of that. He doesn't just say you can get a haircut here, but he makes you his staff. I just want you to catch that like, ah! He gave you the right to become, to be the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent. What he's saying is this just won't be a Jewish thing, 
But I'm calling people from every group of people in the earth to myself. And I'm giving them a new name. I'm giving them a new family. I'm creating a new community, an eschatological community, one who will be preserved to the end, an eternal, eternal community, one who will in the new kingdom raise his glass and click it to Jesus and celebrate the triumph of the king. A new community, one who takes down the barriers of race and division, one who has not found identity in Republican or Democrat, one who doesn't lead by MSNBC or Fox News, but one who punches in the face barriers and divisions, one who will be eternally connected, not by anything but the blood of Jesus, nothing by anything but his saving grace. That would be this new family, and that's the family we got to show Brooklyn. We got to show Brooklyn. We don't care about all that division. Yeah, we disagree and we're going to argue, but we're going to eat some chicken when we get done. Yeah, we don't like this one. We don't like, some of us don't like Trump. Some of us love him. But we're going to have a good party when it's all over. We have to show the world what it looks like to be the eternal family. And we have to show them what it looks like to be recipients of the beautiful generosity of God. The happiest person this side of heaven ought to be somebody who's met Jesus. They should smell the generosity when they walk by the street because there ain't no sign. <laughs> they should smell the stench of eternity dripping out of this place. Because he gave them the right to be the children of God and this children of God. I love the plural. Can I tell you, you're never an adult of God. You're only ever a child of God. Can I tell you, there's no stepkids in the kingdom. We're all brothers and sisters. And this is what this Advent was about. It was about the arrival of a Messiah who was going to tear down the division in the walls and make us one family, one humanity. He was going to murder death so that death could no longer murder us. He was going to rise from a grave that none of us could ever overcome. Born contrary to the laws of birth and die triumphant over the laws of death. He was going to be different. And for people waiting under oppressors and under dictators, sickness and death, multiple generations, no voice from God between Malachi and Matthew, 400 years, no voice of prophecy. They were waiting. Maybe you're here and you've been waiting for God to heal. Maybe you've been here and you've been waiting for God to, for my, some of my ladies to give for the couples to have a baby. Maybe you've lost a baby. Maybe you've, you've come from a battered family. Maybe you had a bad dad and a bad mom. Maybe you was raised by your grandma and you got family issues. I want to tell you that we, as the, the, the gospel changes all of that. The gospel puts us in a posture of joy even though we come from a mess. The gospel defines who we are, no longer the crazy story. The crazy story was a part of God's orchestrating to turn that trash into a treasure to make you smell like him, to make you look like him. Half the stuff you went through was God drawing you to him. God was pushing you to him. Thank God. Thank God for some of the storms we've been in. You know, it's, it's symbolic when I think about Houston. Pastor Blake, one of our good friends, um, is in Houston and... Pastor Blake talks about how all the churches, white, black, and everybody is working so much together since the storm in Houston. They would have never been friends if not for the storm. <laughs> Some of us would never been friends if not for the storm of troubles in our life that drew us to Jesus. <laughs> we would have never been friends. All right, I got to get to it.
So that brings me to the, to the place I want to park a little bit for my last few minutes. We've seen his eternal generosity in the word, the Lagos being God and coming as authentic deity. We've seen his earthly generosity, his cousin, John the Baptist, the forerunner, stamping and reinforcing that he is deity. We see the, unrecognized, the generosity unrecognized in his own rejecting him, but him still receiving some that did believe and giving them to right to become. We see ethnic generosity. It was beyond just a nationalist Jewish thing, but God was calling all people that would believe in his name to himself. And now I want to talk about the extravagant generosity. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observe his glory, the glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I'll stop there. I'll read one more. John testified concerning him, exclaimed that there was one whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received upon grace from his fullness. Okay. So this word becoming flesh. In the Old Testament, when the Bible says, uses language like the word doing this and the word going out here and the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord. It talks about the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. People were always looking for the word of the Lord. What John is arguing for people who have been waiting for this advent, this arrival, he's tying this word became flesh back to John 1. He's saying, I know you've experienced some bootleg messiahs. I know some of your hopes have been dampened. I know that I promised I'd be there and it seems like I've been absent or I have hit do not disturb on your particular number. Or for some of us, we felt like God blocked our cell phone numbers from his phone. He's saying, don't worry about that. The one who was coming would be God. And I'm arguing right now that that is the one that's here. This is what John is saying. Well, let, well, let me back up and make my point. And so when I talk about 400 years, that's just between Malachi and Matthew. Let's go back to Genesis. Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis in Genesis 3.15, after Adam lets his wife sit at the bar and talk to a dude, talk, a, talk his wife into drinking a drink that she had no business drinking while he was with her. We understand that as the fall of man. Men, don't, don't let your wife talk to nobody without you being there, offering something that you already gave her. So he's at the bar and he gives up. He eats of the fruit, the Bible says, and she eats of the fruit and Adam with her, with her, eats to cataclysmic fall of mankind. We call that the fall. And I love that immediately God doesn't say, oh, Look what happened. There was no 911 call. There was no emergency meeting of the Trinity. He simply says this. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He's talking to the serpent, the trickster, the beguiler. And he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, you're going to stomp him out. That's the picture you want to see. You want to see a snake crawling and you want to see the picture that he's trying to show is the right foot of fellowship that he would stomp out the serpent who would crawl and try to crawl into the story of God. And he's saying, no, I'm bringing forth one 
born of a woman who is going to stomp this out. You're going to crush his head and he's going to get your bottom of your foot dirty. Here comes the promise. That's the promise right from the bat. Genesis, sin enters, promise enters. We call this the proto-euangelion. Proto means proto, that means the first. Euangelion is gospel message. So this was the first gospel message. Makes Jesus the first evangelist. Makes Jesus the first apostle. And makes, in other words, the Bible says he was walking through the cool of the day. So Jesus was on the block in the garden going to the lost. The lost didn't come to him. He went to them and preached the gospel. I.e., that's what we do in Brooklyn. We don't expect him just to come here. We're going to hit the block and go to him because when I was getting when I was drinking and wilding like a fool I wasn't coming to no church I was gonna mess up my high but when you come on the block and start smacking me with that Jesus I was ducking and blocking and before long I was bowing and worshiping so John Jesus goes into the garden the first gospel message so they're looking for this Messiah at this point. They're looking for the one who's going to bruise the heel of the serpent. This is the promise in the Proto-Euangelion. In Deuteronomy, in the Torah here, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means duet when you see the first four words, letters. Duet, Deuteronomy. Second, onomy means law. The second giving of the law. So in Deuteronomy 18, 18, he says this. I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in, the, in, in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. This is the, this is the um, picture of the prophet, this eternal prophet, one from God. Jesus Christ would be prophet, priest, and king. This is the prophecy. Moses saying, I'm going to send you a prophet that I am going to inject in his mouth my voice box, and he's going to talk. When he talks, it's like me talking. A prophet from amongst yourself. And then Isaiah 9, 6. We're talking about the people waiting, right? We're talking about us waiting in the midst of challenge. We're talking about long awaiting this advent, this arrival. Isaiah 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And he says, for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I want you to see the comprehensive picture of that. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. This is where we get this idea kingdom. Kingdom means the comprehensive reign of God over all things. So the whole universe and how it's governed and ruled would be on the shoulders of this divine one. The one that we promised in the garden. The one that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy. Now Isaiah says this child is going to be coming. And he puts some adjectives and some descriptions. He's a wonderful counselor. I can testify. He's a mighty God. Ask anyone who used to hate God who loves loves him now. He's an eternal father. He doesn't quit or give up. And he's the prince of peace. He is our ultimate shalom. And his dominion will be fast and his prosperity will never end. That means his ability to get raggedy folk like us. He'll never diminish in his power. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountain. And it flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day. Isaiah says, he will reign on the throne of David over the kingdom and establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So all the little Hebrew kids would have grown up learning these. And in the midst of trials and tribulations and death 
and tyrants. They would have had a posture of joy because they knew the promise of God was promised in these verses. But even through the adversity and struggles and death and sickness, they would have leaned on these verses looking for the advent, the arrival of Mashiach, arrival of Messiah. It would have been hard. But here's what they've been waiting for. All that you've been waiting for is summed up in this person, this divine one, this 100% man, this 100% God, this hypostatic union, this full embodiment. John would later say he's full of grace and truth. Talk about balance. He's 100% grace and 100% truth. He's got the perfect balance. He's got love and he will jam you up. He's got jam up and he's got a nice hug for you after he finished disciplining you. He's a perfect God with perfect everything. And John refers to him as the fullness. He would be full of grace and full of truth. And then Isaiah 53 gives us this picture of this messianic one. Yet he himself bore our sickness and carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. So they would be looking for this God man. This one that was going to take a beating that he didn't deserve. This one that the government would be on his shoulders. This one that would have a word from God inserted into his larynx. This one they would be looking for. I'm just telling you, God didn't tell them to wait for a bottle of water. He had a promise of a powerful person. And in the personal work of Jesus Christ is the argument. And so all the, all the other stuff I said is generous of God. But his extravagant generosity is in Jesus. He's got some earthly generosity. Some etern- He's got a bunch of generosity. But his extravagant generosity is in, the per- is in giving his best to the world's worst. Given his best son to die for the worst children. I remember that movie. It was called The Good Son. I'm going to go past my time. Pastor Brandon, I'll stop if you tell me to. Hold up. But Gabe, write the check. Let me ask Gabe. <laughs> Make sure y'all edit that. So that's what they were looking for. Can I tell you, don't you stop looking for him either to show up in all your rough places in your life. He is the same God. He is the same one. He's the one they, we, they look for him to come the first time and consol- as the consolation or the comfort, Luke 2 says. But we look for him to come and take us to consummation that we would ever be with him. But we're not looking for some bootleg, corny dude who's just going to give us some material. That's why I despise prosperity gospel. Because prosperity means, <laughs> for Jesus, he doesn't lose his power to save, un- to save undeserving people. It's not material. That's why for 400 years, what I tell you that many of the Jews were poor and oppressed, but they had faith in Messiah, that counted, that was prosperity. It was prosperity when in the midst of the storm, you still trusted that your God could bring you through. That's prosperity. 
So John is making the argument. John is simply saying, and the argument I'm saying is this. Let me step one back, step back. We all sing this song, Joy to the World. Jews, Gentiles, atheists, bootleg Christians, even Jehovah Witness know that song. But do you realize you've never thought about it probably profoundly as it is? Joy to the world. Let earth receive her king. I'm sorry. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Do you get the powerful reality of that? It's so common to us, right? Joy to the world. Why can the world have joy? John is saying, because in the beginning was the word and the word was God. And he is God. And so when this child that was born over the long expansion of time between promise and fulfillment you can have some real joy right now because the one of the generosity of God is God and he is the fulfilled promise that the, that the father promised. So before that, there w- our joy, and what I'm saying is our joy is summed up in Jesus, not in stuff. If you get healed and you don't know Jesus, you're just going to die from something else. If you get that thing you want so bad and you don't love Jesus, you're just going to have that thing on your way to hell. And if you're in Christ and you get that thing, then there's a level of idolatry that we need to repent of. So our joy is summed up in the person and work of Jesus. That's why we celebrate the empty tomb. That's why the bloody cross is not a horror flick. It's a masterpiece. It's a love story. It's a picture of an abstract love, the bloody cross. But for those who don't know him, it's a horror flick. But for those who know that we should be on our way to hell, for those who know we are undeserved, Jesus died in our place. This beautiful substitutionary atonement, we could never get there, but he got us there by his grace. I want to close. The word became flesh. John testifying concerning his claim that he is the one who said, I am coming after me. So this word becoming flesh is simply Jesus shows up. I think the message Bible says that the word became flesh. The word put on a skin suit and moved into the neighborhood. That's his translation. I like to say that God tucked his Shekinah into a skin suit and showed up on the block. So he became flesh, and we observed his glory, the glory of the only son, full of grace and full of truth. 15, John testified concerning and explained he ranks ahead of me. That's John just saying he is Messiah, not me, because he existed before me. Verse 16, indeed, we have received grace upon grace from his fullness. I'll stop there. In other words, so when you think of this grace, grace, I want to make sure I say it right because I have ESV in my head. Indeed, we have received grace upon grace. When you think of grace upon grace, I want you to see this picture. And this is the point John is driving home to his listeners. Jesus is God. The Father has given extravagant grace in giving his son to undeserved. I know you struggle to believe. I know there's been bootleg messiahs, but you can have real joy and sing joy to the world now because he is God. He is the promise fulfiller. And then he caps it with, 
Indeed, we have received grace upon grace from his fullness. So in his fullness, grace upon grace, hear it like this, grace in the place of grace. See, when we're hurting, we want healing in the place of pain. When we're broke, we want resources in the place of poverty. So when you meet Jesus and he saves you and receive him as Lord, he replaces grace with grace. <laughs> what he's saying is you're no longer defined by the thing that used to ail you because his grace has defined you. And now what he does day in, day out, he just gives you more grace to replace yesterday's grace. He's a good God because you can give the Lord praise right there. Lamentation says his mercies are new every morning. In other words, there's no refrigerator needed for God's mercies because they're fresh every morning. They don't expire. So he replaces grace with grace. Also, I want you to see that that imagery in the Greek talks, it, 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 it carries the idea of flood, flood. So it's like, it's like being at the shore and the water's coming. And then within a second later, another wave comes. And then another second, before you even can shake the water off, another one's coming. That's what you got to see when you see the crazy, extravagant generosity of God. God has sent his son to flood us with grace. He sent to pour out everything he has to the undeserved. And we receive from that fullness. In other words, we don't receive no cheesy, secondary, broke leg lambs. But we've received the two-legged lamb who walks upright and dies in our place and gives grace to the undeserved. As I close, since the beginning of all things, God has been giving to us. And God hasn't stopped giving to us. So what do we do with that? The crazy, generous God that gives beautiful gifts, his own son, in death. That those who trust in him might have new and crazy, grace-filled lives. He is generous with his gifts. We are generous to. He is generous with his gifts. But you know what we are? We're generous with sin. He's generous to give gifts and we're generous to give sin. He's generous in giving his son as a ransom for sinners. See, we are generous with grief and sin. We have doubt, wars, lies, murder, oppression, racism, classism, elitism. We give hate and hopelessness and hunger. This is man. We gave adultery, fornication, porn, and porn addiction. We give the sins that we've committed that will require his death of the only begotten. But his generosity, he gave his son. And all through the time, so that at this point when John is telling this, the, the, the people of God, this is the real Messiah, he's, he, he has a backtrack. If you check monster.com on Jesus, his resume is vast, isn't it? He gave his, of his generosity. He gave sight to the blind. He gave manna to a wandering people who didn't even trust him. He gave water from a rock to those who were thirsty, and it was good purified water. He gave hungry folk some fish and a biscuit when they were hungry in the wilderness without even them saying thank you. He gave new life to Lazarus when he spoke into 
into a tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. He gave babies to barren women. He gave more years to Hezekiah. He gave victories to losers. He gave healing to lepers. He gave dancing legs to paralyzed folk. He gave double portion of anointing to Elisha. He turned the lion's den into a petting zoo for Daniel. He gave Moses a glimpse of his glory and gave him new skin before proactive. He's a God who just gives. He's been generous. He is generous. He is the embodiment of generosity. I'm going to say this and take my seat. Might this season, might Black Friday not be the primary place of generosity? I was black every Friday. <laughs> the primary generosity is not Black Friday. But I'm, I'm going to challenge you. I know your kids want gifts. My granddaughter asked me for an iPhone 7. <laughs> I got Michael Kors shoes last year. And I thought I saw them on Craigslist. <laughs> Trying to double the money. And I want to get it for her. But let's turn our American consumption into a missional activity. Find somebody sort of that you think might not like you and give them a gift. Hold back on one of those gifts because we don't need it. It's just sentimental, most of our gifts. So just I ain't telling you to not do Christmas and get rid of your tree. I ain't trying to make you a Jehovah Witness. <laughs> I'm just saying one of those gifts, get something special for a person that you, that is sort of stranger to you, that may be distant, that you want to just show them the extravagant generosity of God because you're a great recipient of God's generosity. Just give it away crazy. And if they don't know Jesus, even better. Because the gift we got was when we didn't know Jesus was Jesus. So let's show them what extravagant generosity looks like. So that's my hope for the one gift. The second thing is, during this season, people like me, my mother died, and she showed me her extravagant, her, her crazy family generosity to get that Crayola caddy for me while she was sick and dying. She would die from that Christmas 25th. She would die January the 1st, 1983. She only lived a few more days. So this season is rough for me. I told Pastor Brandon in the back room, it's always good. I'm so glad to be here in this season with people I love. I love Brandon. I love Ty. I love Rob. The Bells. It's so good to be here. I'm with my son. My oldest son was here earlier. But there's people in this season who commit suicide like crazy. So I want y'all to be some crazy, loving, crazy people around this season. Well, you already crazy loving all the time, but turn up a little bit extra for this season. And just imagine your hug and your Christmas card might be the difference in somebody's committing of suicide. And so when the hurt, so there's a lot of hurting people. So just remember, there's not a lot of places to go in Brooklyn where you can run into some crazy, generous love from crazy, generous people. So let's be that place for Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy, this year. Might the gospel ooze out of this place and be an attractional reality for the hurting and the, pre, the potential suicidal. Might they run in here and think they are crazy 
forever thinking about committing suicide because they done ran into y'all. Y'all done got on some chicken, some expensive coffee. Y'all done did all y'all Brooklyn greeting all loud. You done danced with them, loved on them, Christmas party and carrying on. Love them up because we know that this is a place where women struggling can run into some godly women. We know this is a place where men struggling can run into some godly dudes. Let that ooze off of us this season and let us demonstrate the crazy generosity of our crazy generous God. Amen. Father, we thank you for your grace and your love, and we know that only you are worthy to be praised. Lord, we do this inadequate, and Jesus has embodied this perfectly. He is the crazy, generous gift of God, and we worship and adore him. So God, even in the rest of our gathering, let this communion that preaches better than me preach to our souls. Whatever I didn't cover right and whatever I messed up in my sermon, let this sermon of God's communion clean it up. So we pray as the rest of our gathering. For those who know you, Lord, we pray that you would bring us to repentance and give us faith to carry on and live out the gospel missionally. For those who don't, we pray, God, that they would be smacked in the face with grace right now, that they would reach out and scream, Lord, save me. And we know that you will in no wise cast them out. So bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.